we had a corker of a passage in the last episode of this podcast. Virgil's insanely sad and insanely insightful speech about what it is to have a body, what it is to be made of star stuff, and what it is to finally be damned despite the gift of reason. What could possibly follow that up? Ah, Purgatorio, Canto 3, lines 46 through 66. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough. This is the podcast Walking with Dante, a podcast that is slow walking through the second canticle of Dante's masterwork, Purgatorio. If you are just joining us here, oh my gosh, season one of this podcast is all Inferno, all what, 230 some odd episodes on Inferno. We've come up into Purgatorio here to the 26th episode, and we are approaching the middle of Canto 3. We have got Virgil and Dante on a ledge. They don't seem to know the way to go. Dante has been shocked by his own shadow, like a groundhog on February, if you know the U.S. reference there. He has whipped around to see Virgil, and Virgil set into one of the most complicated speeches in all of comedy, expressing both his hope and his grief. Now we have the follow-up and the next part of this canto. It's sometimes easy to see this canto break into pieces and this is one of those moments where a break seems to happen. I'm going to argue that it's not a break. There is a continuous meditation throughout this canto on some very interesting philosophical and, dare I say, biological problems. This is my English translation of Purgatorio Canto 3, lines 46 through 66. You can find it on my website, markscarbro.com or walkingwithdante.com. I say this all the time. You know the drill. Go out there, print it off, read it off, drop a comment, do all those things you want to do. It's great. That's why it exists is so you can have it. Otherwise, sit back and here we go. Lines 46 through 66 of Canto 3. In the meantime, we'd come to the foot of the mountain where we found a cliff so steep that the buffest legs wouldn't have been able to get up it. Consider the desolate terrain between La Ricci and Turbia. That pile of ruin is little more than a wide and easy staircase compared to this spot. Okay, who could know on which hand there's the less steep climb, my master Virgil said as he halted his steps. Where's the spot someone without wings can climb? Standing there with his gaze lowered, he was racking his brain about the road ahead. I was looking up all around the rocks when there appeared to me on the left a group of human souls who were indeed moving their feet toward us, although it didn't seem they were actually doing that given how slowly they came Master, I said, lift up your eyes. Behold, over there are some who might give us some guidance if you aren't able to noodle out any on your own. So he looked over there, and with a sigh of relief, he said, Let's go on toward them, for they're coming along so slowly. Firm up your hopes, my sweet son. Spotting a group of souls on a terrace of purgatory. This is going to become a common occurrence throughout the second canticle, but this is the first time it's happened to us. They're at the very foot of this mountain, not really on a terrace yet, just at the very bottom foot, and they're trying to figure out a way up this unbelievably steep terrain, this rocky cliff face. Let's look at this passage, break it down into several different pieces. 
pieces and talk about how it works, because how it works is crucial to seeing it as part of a whole, the whole of Canto Three of Purgatorio. The passage begins, in the meantime, we'd come to the foot of the mountain where we found a cliff so steep that the buffest legs wouldn't have been able to get up it. As Virgil has been talking about his grief and the limits of human reason and being made of star stuff and all that business, they've clearly been walking all along, and we're going to come to this in a minute. They've been walking all along, and now they're looking at this rock escape. How is Virgil's sorrow connected to this narrative development? I think there are ways we can talk about it, but let's get through the passage and watch it happen. So Dante goes on to explain it. Consider that desolate terrain between Larici and Turbia. This is along the Ligurian coast. These are both Ligurian coastal towns kind of on either side of Genoa. Turbia is now in France. It's Le Turbie. It's east of Nice. So if you go a little east of Nice to Le Turbie and you go all the way around past Genoa to La Ricci, then you're talking about a very wild piece of coast. Even the Middle Ages was known for its sea cliffs, the way it is so forbidding to get anywhere near and up these cliffs. This is a very legendary bit of rough terrain. So he says, if you even think about that terrain down there on the Ligurian coast, that pile of ruin is little more than a wide and easy staircase compared to this spot. Okay, Virgil says, who could know on which hand there's the less steep climb? And now Virgil stops. This seems important. No forward momentum. Now, remember, Virgil has already said to Dante the Pilgrim, don't you dare take one step backwards. All right. They're not going backwards, but Virgil has halted. Virgil then says, where's the spot where someone without wings can climb? The guide doesn't know what to do. The guide even seems a little sarcastic. If you want us to climb this mountain, oh great power, then why didn't you give us wings? It even seems a little bit snarky. Just think where we just came out of. Virgil's saying reason is not enough. Think about how that operated and the grief in the passage. And think now that Virgil is brought to a dead halt at the cliff face. Going on in the passage, standing there with his gaze lowered, he was racking his brain about the road ahead. I was looking up all around the rocks. We have to stop. So Virgil is doing what he just talked about. He's trying to reason it out. He's standing there with his gaze lowered, trying to figure it out mentally. What do I do? Meanwhile, Dante the Pilgrim is looking up. It can't be read (laughs) any other way but allegorically. Virgil looks down. The Pilgrim looks up. That's the difference in them, a pagan and a Christian. Dante sees the answer. Dante looks up, and then this bit. There appeared to me on the left a group of human souls who were indeed moving their feet toward us, although it didn't seem they were actually doing so since they were coming so slowly. We should first note that this is in direct contrast to that bit that 
opens the canto about Virgil's frenzied, undignified pace. Remember? Virgil starts out the canto running like mad from Cato, and it's robbed him of every dignity. Now we meet souls who are at the foot of the mountain, who are walking very slowly. This passage is part of a long commentary tradition. Because Dante is looking up and spots souls on their left, many commentators believe that Virgil and Dante are still turning left and walking left. Remember, in Inferno, with two exceptions, they always turn left. And we talked endlessly about directionality and left is sinister. Sorry, I'm not saying left-handed people are sinister. I'm just talking about medieval iconography. Of course, left-handed people aren't sinister. Come on. That's disgusting. But still, this is the medieval iconography. They're always turning left in hell with two exceptions. And we say turn right. We talked about all of this. Now it gets reversed when the globe gets turned around. A lot of commentators believe that because because Dante spots people on the left, they must still be moving that direction on to the left. You're going to discover that in Purgatory, the only way, <laughs> the only way to go is to the right. Of course, the only way to go is to the right. So they're still moving in a hellish way. Or how's this? They're still moving in a Virgilian way. They're moving in the way that Virgil directs them throughout Inferno with the two exceptions. I'm not sure that I buy that you can say they're moving left from this passage. It seems a little bit of a stretch for me, but it is a long commentary tradition that this indicates Virgil and Dante are moving in the old hellish ways and haven't yet picked up the directionality of purgatory. Dante says, Master, lift up your eyes. Behold, over there are some who might give us some guidance if you are not able to noodle out any on your own. Dante uses the language of revelation. Behold, echo. This is how Christians talk about revelation. Lift up your eyes. Behold. What did Virgil just say? That without revelation, you can't make sense of things. What's happening in this passage? Dante gets a revelation. Now, here's how he gets it. This is what's so fascinating. He gets it with his eyes. Apparently, then there is a need for the senses. You can't do this with your brain alone, Virgil, looking down. You need your eyes. You need the senses that take in information. So the body, the body's senses are useful. In fact, oh, wait, stop. Here's an implication. The body is necessary for revelation. Because if you didn't have your ears, he who has ears to hear and eyes to see, if you didn't have your ears and if you didn't have your eyes, then you couldn't access the revelation. So the body is necessary for revelation. No wonder everybody wants to be embodied. No wonder everybody's shocked at a body in the afterlife. No wonder Dante is out of place because 
this body that he's in is able to see the souls coming. Behold, lift up your eyes. So Virgil indeed does. He looks over there and with a sigh of relief, he says, let's go on toward them for they're coming along so slowly. I translated it. It's piano. Softly, slowly, gently, quietly. They're coming along slowly. It's probably about the speed, but it might be about the sound their footsteps make, that their footsteps are very slight and hesitant. This will play out in the passage ahead. And then Virgil says, firm up your hopes. My sweet son, Virgil is back on familiar territory. This is how Virgil talks. My sweet son, firm up your hope. This is the Virgil we've known all along in Inferno. He's back on familiar turf, although it's the turf that Dante himself has discovered. Virgil now goes back to being the paternal Virgil because Dante has had a revelation. Echo, behold, had a revelation. And how did he have that revelation? He used his eyes, his physical senses. Oh my gosh. This is getting so unbelievably ironic and complicated. It is like a cat's tail just twisting back and forth on itself. I mean, here we had Virgil with his head lowered in the last passage. In this passage, Virgil is back on familiar ground, but what is that ground? That's the ground that Dante himself found. People coming toward them, and Virgil apparently can't noodle it out. Oh, poor Virgil. He just comes in for a whacking in the opening seven cantos, eight cantos of Purgatorio. Poor Virgil just gets destroyed. It is is unbelievable that the great Roman poet, of course, is sent in for this drubbing. Dante the poet is doing that, you realize. It's not natural. But at the same time, doing that allows us to see Virgil's humanity. And here, Virgil does buck up. He says, firm up your hopes, my son, but that's Virgil bucking up. Virgil's looking up, looking at what Dante has discovered, and Virgil's like, oh, Finally, I can do it. I can be a guide, <laughs> a guide to someone who's already found the trail. Have you ever done this? I've, I've actually done this. I've had hiking guides in my life. I love hiking and I love trekking. And I've had guides who lose the path and I find the path. And of course, I always look at the guide like, well, dude, why am I paying you any money if I'm the one who found the trek again? I don't know that's going on in this passage. I don't think it is. But it's still got that level of irony about it. And Virgil, of course, is, oh, yeah, firm up. It's as if my guide on a trekking trip said, oh, yeah, I knew it was there all along. <laughs> I was going to find it. You know, now let's go. It's all so unbelievably, beautifully ironic and about the place of the body in the totality of the human experience. I'm not going to read this passage again because I'm going to save it for the next episode of the podcast so that I can read it along with what comes next. I think they go together in tandem. So come back next time and we will hit what may be the most shocking central pivot of the canto, a pivot that makes the whole canto stay together. So many people want to break Canto 3 of Purgatorio into pieces. I don't think so. I think it's one thing about how do you find your way and how you find it 
is more shocking than you can believe. So come back, rate this podcast, subscribe. We're going to keep walking with Dante and Virgil. <laughs> Virgil, our guide, oh, our kind of guide, oh, our hoped for guide. Oh, well, at least he's following the pilgrim in the pilgrim's revelations at this point. Wow. Can it get any more ironic? Yes, it can. Come back. I'm Mark Scarborough. I'll see you then. Thank you.